0: Hebrews chapter 10, this morning, with God's help, we we will um, be considering just one verse, but I will read the verses leading up to it, and then we will um, be considering the entire entire chapter, um, kind of summarizing the main point that's, I think, uh, being pushed there in Hebrews chapter 10. So, if you would like, you can keep your Bibles open to Hebrews 10 throughout the sermon, because I will be referring to different points made throughout Hebrews 10. But for now, Hebrews 10:35 through 39, focusing our attention on, on verse 39. Uh, hear now the word of the Lord, and please give it your full attention, for his word is faithful and true. <clears throat> Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back. destruction, but of those who live, who have faith to the preserving of the soul. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, now to the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Uh, Gracious Father, Son, and Spirit, be with us now, Lord, as we are admonished in your word and admonished now, Lord, through you as you preach to us, not to shrink back and to be encouraged as we, Lord, are reminded with a sweet reminder that we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. Lord, uh, I decrease that you may increase. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name we all pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, saints of God, over the past uh, two weeks, we have been... Admonished to live to the glory of God out of debt of gratitude to Him. Uh, We learned that we failed to give a debt of honor to God, which resulted in a debt of satisfaction to God, which we were unable to pay. Uh, God unveiled His goodness in the highest manner when He gave Himself to be wrapped in human frailty. Uh, When He lived and died uh, rose and ascended into glory, and also promised to return in glory. All of this while simultaneously paying the debt of satisfaction that we owed. Christ, as we know, who is the God-man, offered himself to God in love, and his offering is powerful to save all those who God has foreknown and foreloved to be called sons of God. Because of the goodness of God, paying a debt that we that he did not owe, uh, we, and that is those who have faith to believe in Christ, we now owe him a debt of gratitude. What exactly do we owe to God? we have been learning absolutely everything without remainder. If you were not here last week and many of you were not, I encourage you to go back and hear last week's sermon, we owe to God every thought, every action every desire, every pursuit, every word, everything is owed to God and everything without remainder. That is, everything is to be done in some shape or fashion uh, to and for the glory of God, out of debt or in debt of gratitude to Him. We are grateful to Him for what He has done for us, therefore we give all of ourselves back to Him. Uh, It's the... All things come from God and all things return to God, as we talked about last week. The life lived to the glory of God, as we learned, is first lived inwardly. That is, inwardly, our our minds and our hearts offered to God. Our minds and hearts are to be lived reverently before God, um, contemplated before God, and prayerful to God. Saints, since last week, I, I would like to ask you, Have you been more inwardly reverent toward God this past week? Have you been submitting your mind, those thoughts, your heart, the the emotions and the things that you desire? Have you been submitting those things, those things that nobody sees? Have you been submitting those things to God, laying them, as it were, on, on his altar and saying, God, search me? Have you lived your inner life? With a holy fear of God who knows and sees all, have you this past week marveled at the goodness of God and his word? have you been um, have you been contemplating God? Have you sat down, read his word? Have you, after reading his word, thought long and hard about his word? after reading his word, have you have you thought about, The fact that his word is eternal and it's everlasting, it's unchanging. Have you been prayerful this week? Uh, This is the inner life. Have you spent time adoring God? Not petitioning him first, but just adoring him first. Have you spent time in the presence of God, praying to him, um, thanking him for as many things as you can thank him for? Have you been interceding for others? Have you been presenting your own petitions to God? This is the inward life. This is the life that that we live um, to the glory of God first inwardly. Before it's ever lived outwardly, it's lived inwardly. Saints, we owe our inner lives to God. We owe a life inwardly, a a life of mind and heart to God that is lived to the glory of God out of gratitude to Him. We owe that to Him. It's been changed, hasn't it? Our minds have been changed. Our hearts have been changed. And they've not just been changed for you to be a better person. They've been changed for you first to offer them to God, back to Him. To Him who has changed them, now you give them back to Him. We owe absolutely everything to God without remainder. The inner life, we learn, then pours out into the outer life. That which you are, that which is in the soul pours out into the, to the hands and feet, to the body. The life lived before the face of God is evidenced by, here's a few synonyms, spiritual fruit, godliness, um, Christ-likeness, virtues. All of these work to describe what the outer life looks like, or at least the word that describes the outer life, right? It, it is a life of virtue that first begins with us to God and then, and then us to man. First you to God and then you to man. The Christ-like life is first lived before God, and then it reaches to those who are closest to us. It pours out, and, and then as it pours out, it is, it is touching those who are closest to us. Uh, be it your spouse, be it your children, be it your roommates, be it your neighbor, and the like. The, the life that is lived to the glory of God lives justly man to man. That is, it's a life that seeks to do good to others. And also, does not withhold your goods from others. Do you have goods within you? Let them come out. And if you have them and keeping them to yourselves, then you're not being just to your neighbor. That means you're not being good to them. Um, I was not good to my my sister-in-law yesterday, my sister Lila. uh, I I saw her. She's laughing now. I saw her on Auburn. I pulled up in front of the traffic just to scare her. She did not see me. And I waited and then honked at her and scared the the donuts and all that stuff that we were all getting uh, out of her. And she texted me and said, you scared me. I was not being good to her at that moment, right? I, I was being good to myself. I was enjoying myself. Saints, when you have a good to give to someone and you withhold it from them, you're not being just to them. You're not doing this. You're not not taking what has been given to you, goodness, and then sharing it with others, goodness. If you have received goodness and then you're keeping it to yourself and not sharing it with others, you're not displaying the inner life. That is, that God lives in you. If God lives in you, he who has not withheld goodness from you... Then it pours out into you that you do not withhold goodness from others. What we are saying: Do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself. It's 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 a, it's a more deeper way of saying the most basic thing: Love others. If you have been loved, love with the love that you have been given. It is evaluating what might this showing good to others being just. It is evaluating what might bless others and not withholding that blessing from them, even if even at the cost of your own convenience. You've ever gotten a call and you you know, you should, you know, it's the right thing to do. It's just inconvenience. I don't want to get out of bed. My children, especially my little one, my little girl, uh, she does not hesitate to inconvenience me. I will sit down, just eat and say, Dad, can I eat? You ever get that? You, they have just eaten, and you feel like you just ate um, 15 minutes ago. All of your food is prepared. You're sitting down. It's hot. I like to eat my food steaming hot, like it burns my mouth kind of hot. Um, and as soon as uh, all the steam is, is there, and I'm about to eat, my daughter will come and say, Dad, can I eat something? And I'm like, sure, sure. <clears throat> Even when it inconveniences you to give goods to others, it is it is. It is incumbent upon you, who have been shown goods, to give of yourselves even when it's inconvenient. Even the most basic inconvenience. Here's a basic one, a smile. How are you? Good to see you. <clears throat> For some, that is an inconvenience to just smile and say, how are you? <clears throat> but it is withholding goods from others when we don't give them the most basic human things that even unbelievers will do. A hello. Hello. How are you? A sincere one. Not I said it. I said it and I meant it. Right? Withholding goods from others. I I thought about this today. I'm going to be on my soapbox a little bit today. So please uh, be gracious toward me. I thought about this with, with husbands to wives and husbands to children. If we know that it is good to give to them the word of the Lord. That which has been given to you. Let me slow down and say this the right way. That which has been given to you then it is incumbent upon you. It is it is your responsibility then to give to them what has been given to you, knowing the goods that it will produce in them. You have received a good. Therefore, you give of that good to others so that it will be good to them as well. That's being just. That's the, the most just thing you can do to those who are in your homes. Be good to them. The grandest way is not by a bigger house, not by a bigger car, uh, not by by giving them all the clothes and video games. It's by first giving to them the word of life. God lives in us. Therefore, this is not impossible. That which I have just uh, espoused to you, it's not impossible because God who lives in you has empowered you to live in such a way, to live justly. We share in His divine life. If God does not withhold the highest good from us, and He lives in us, then we cannot withhold the highest good from others. Because God lives in us. The inner life pours out into the outer life. The outer life of virtue is justice, again, to men. It's giving of your goods. It's also... Here's another one now. What what does the outer life also look like? It's being good to one another, but it's also recognizing evil and turning away from it. The inner life prepares the saint to, to do good to one another, but it also prepares the saint to recognize evil and turn away from it, to call it out and to turn away from it. The life of virtue, living to the glory of God out of debt of gratitude to him, is seeing Babylon and the harlot for what and who they are. We're out of Revelation now, but the point still remains. It is refusing to live in fear of Babylon, no matter how powerful it seems to be. And refusing to give in to the allurements of the harlot, no matter how alluring they they appear to be, because both are actually empty of what they claim to have. They don't have all power, and they are not the most satisfying. The life that is lived to the glory of God out of gratitude recognizes that and 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 turns, is not in fear of it and turns away from it. Living to the glory of God out of gratitude to God is a life that has peace that cannot be given by this world and sees it. It is a life that has been given happiness, a happiness that the world is unable to give. A life lived to the glory of God understands that they are here for a reason. And their existence is not found in temporary pleasures of this world. That's my point for today. Or or, in my point for today, it is also... So it's... it's, um, The inward life coming out. It is doing good to one another. It is seeing evil for what it is. Recognizing it. Calling it out. and And then here's my point for today. And it is also... The outward life is also a life that when it is tried, that when it is, is tested, that when things get tough, it is a life that when darkness seems not only to be surrounding but increasingly closing in, that life, lived to the glory of God out of debt of gratitude to him, does not shrink back. Because it is not of those who shrink back. It does not abandon the faith because it sees that in all things Christ is greater. The life lived to the glory of God cannot shrink back. Amen. It cannot abandon the faith. It, it knows what it owes. And no amount of suffering could ever convince that believer to abandon Christ. I owe him too much. They will not shrink back. Because they are not of those who shrink back. Sermon title, we are not of those who shrink back. And I'm going to say that they, throughout this sermon, and I hope that the they is you. I hope that when I say they, you are saying, yeah, that's me. We are not of those who shrink back. Even in suffering, we proclaim, Christ is greater. He's even greater than my suffering. It is one of the driving points of this chapter that is proclaimed at the end of this chapter, which we just read, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul we are not of those who shrink back this verse is a kind of culmination of the entire chapter which really leads into chapter 11 that that um, hall of fame of faith those who have who stood uh, in faith go home and read that later we are not of those who shrink back and it's kind of being proclaimed leading up to this chapter to this verse but there are other hints throughout the chapter that that give us reasons why and and also kind of the context of maybe what was happening there to the Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 25, you know the verse well. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. You know the verse. Do not forsake is a powerful phrase. I I think we often read it and we go, okay, just don't avoid coming to church. It's so much more than that. It is, do not abandon. It is, do not desert. It is, do not turn away from the gathering of the saints or, verse 39, do not shrink back. Evidently, there were some in the church that were shrinking back or abandoning the faith. Uh, If the analogy that we often use in this church is one of taking each other's hand and walking together watch this forsaking is an intentional act of unlovingly pulling one's hand away and then walking in the other direction abandoning is shrinking back is as you are holding hands with those whom you have that you have promised to walk with it is an intentional Unloving act, I say intentional, and it's unloving, I'll get to that in a moment, of pulling your hand away. And as you are walking in one direction, turning around and going the opposite direction. It's it's intentional, meaning there's some thought behind it. It doesn't just happen. There's some brooding over whether or not you should do this, and the brooding eventually... Is resulting in I actually don't want to walk with them anymore. Watch this though. One has to choose not to love the person that they are walking with in order to detach the hand and say enough, and go in another direction. It is an intentional act of unlovingly detaching one's hand, turning around. Watch this and not looking back. Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever had somebody walk away from you? You're walking together, and they they are so upset with you that they just walk away from you. You Does that ever happen? It is one of the most helpless feelings one can know, especially if you don't go after them. You're standing there. They're walking the other direction, and and you're left there saying to yourself, and maybe to them silently, maybe even loudly, you left me. You, You actually left me. Well, the writer to the Hebrews is saying that there are some who have developed in that church have developed the intentional, unloving habit of pulling their hands away and walking in the other direction. Now, before we begin to think of people who have left us or this church, like I was doing when I was preparing the sermon, let us pause our hurt feelings, my hurt feelings, and and, and let them be rightly ordered, which is this. Because the persons who have intentionally, unlovingly detached their hands have not detached their hands first from us. From Christ. As I was hearing the sermon, I I I, I started to make a list in my mind of all. Yes, you, you, you left me, and you left. They first left Christ, not me, not even you. They first left Christ, not even this church, not not even that. Watch this: walking away from Christ and not turning back. Not not going to another church. Walking away from Christ and not turning back to Him. They have abandoned Him, whom they once regarded as greater than all. They've not turned away from, we're hurt, we missed Him. They've turned away from Christ. They've turned away from the one whom they owe all things, even their very existence. They have not esteemed Him as more infinitely or most infinitely valuable over all things. Because turning away from him is turning to something else. That they deemed in this act as being more valuable, more desirable, even more powerful than him. They first abandoned Christ. Now before we walk any further, let's briefly answer the question that that I assume some might be asking. Does that mean they can lose their salvation? Did did they let go of the hand of Christ? I thought it was saved, uh, you know, once saved, always saved, etc. Indeed. For those who are in Christ, they shall never be lost. For those who are in the hand of God, you shall never, shall never be removed. And to turn away from Christ means that they were never found by him. One may share, watch this, one may share in the graces of the fellowship of the Spirit they may be in this church and what they're doing is they're enjoying the benefits of hearing the word of God being spoken to them. They're hearing and maybe even partaking of the supper. They are, they are enjoying the graces of God. And it is all an external act. Appearing to be one of the lost sheep who were found, but inwardly they are just chaff that will be burned away in the end. It's possible to be here and not really belong. It's possible for for uh, for the the feast to be the fellowship to be taking place, and for the master to say to to one whom he does not recognize, "Who are you, and how did you get in here?" And then to have the the, the angels, as it were, say uh, say to them, he say to them. Uh, Escort this person out, please. It's possible to be here and not belong. Remember the parable of the sower. Only those who have been granted new life in the good soil shall produce true fruit. And so their desertion, their abandoning Christ, their, their shrinking back was a type of being exposed as chaff hiding among the wheat. The Lord will always expose and then separate the two. They they will last, but they will not last always. But we are not of those who shrink back. But we are not of those who shrink back. Why are you still here, saints of God? Why is it that you are not counted among those who have shrank back? Is it because, it is because you have been given grace And you have been empowered to cooperate with that grace to see your new, with your new sight to see the greater path and to walk with Christ along that greater path. We are not of those who shrink back because we believe that Christ is greater, greater than anything that is saying, turn this way, come back this way. Uh, What about that way? No, I'm walking with Christ, and, and He will not let go of me, and I will not let go of Him, because nothing is greater. It is what the writer of the Hebrews is arguing throughout this book, and then also throughout this chapter, verse one, for the law chapter ten. For the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices. Hebrews ten one. Which they offer continually, year by year, make those who draw near, or make perfect those who draw near. Watch this. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. The writer to the Hebrews is summarizing something that I will summarize hopefully quickly. The deficiency of the old covenant. The deficiency of the old covenant, the law, let's start there. The law is good, but it is only a shadow of the greater that was to come. The Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrificial system was good, but it was only, it was not able to perfect. Otherwise, there would be no need for an annual offering. The priest, they had a holy work, but the priest who offered sacrifices, On behalf of the people were also in need of a sacrifice for themselves. The writer to the Hebrews is making the case that the law, the sacrifices, and the priesthood, all of these pointed to Christ who is greater than them all. Greater, uh, the greater fulfillment of all of these things. He comes and by fulfilling, he comes and fulfills, and by fulfilling, he sets aside the old to establish the new. The law, start there, it was our schoolmaster. It was our teacher. It was meant to teach us that we are deficient, that that, that we are lacking, that, that we are incapable of upholding the righteous requirements of the law. The law reveals that our inner life and our outer life are corrupted by sin. That in order for man to meet the demands of the law, To give to God the debt of satisfaction that is owed to him. A resource outside of man must be provided. And without that resource, man is condemned. There's nothing in man. No good in man. No fervent prayer. No tearful song. No offering can man give to God that would pay the debt of satisfaction in man. For man. But we are not of those who have shrank back to the law because we know that Christ is greater than the law. Christ upholds the law, fulfilling all of its righteous requirements because He is, in fact, the righteous one. Christ obeys the law out of love. It is His meat. It is His drink to obey the commands of God. It satisfies Him. He says, with perfect love to God, Hebrews 7 or 10, 7 and 9, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Christ is the obedient, faithful son. Amen. He is the greater sacrifice, secondly, greater sacrifice than the bulls and goats, because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away the sin of man, Hebrews declares. If the blood of bulls and goats could take away the sins of men, could cleanse the guilty conscience of man then there would no long there would no there would be no need for an annual sacrifice bulls and goats could not pay the debt of satisfaction that we owe to god a life lived to the glory of god offered up in love a bull could not do this a goat could not do this a a, a, a lamb could not do this but christ offered up his life to god in love only an image bearer of god could pay such a ransom Only the Lord Jesus Christ could could pay such a ransom, such an infinitely valuable ransom. We are not of those who shrink back because we see the infinite value of the sacrifice of Christ. Christ is better than the old covenant priesthood. The offering that the priest would offer was given on behalf of the people. But the priests were also in need of a sacrifice. It was the unrighteous offering for the unrighteous. It was the sinful offering for the sinful. But Christ is greater than the old covenant priesthood. Christ is the sinless high priest who in his perfect righteousness is both the offerer and the offering. He both gives of himself to be the offering and he is the one who is giving. In love he offers himself to God. And his love is efficacious to remove the sins of the entire world, saints. Christ is the Savior of the world. There is no other Savior. It is because of the person and work of Christ that we are saved. And if that was not enough, we are now welcomed into the very presence of God. Christ, our great high priest, has gone into the holy place. He has gone behind the veil. Through His work, He has torn the veil, opening up a way for man to be reconciled to God through Him in faith. Therefore, we are not of those who shrink back. The goodness of God in Christ Jesus is is revealed in that Christ not only opens the way, but then He takes our hand and brings us in with Him. This was never done in the old covenant priesthood. It was the priest and the priest alone But Christ, not only does He go in, but then He says to you, and you may also enter. You may. Which is where we are now. We are now in the very presence of God. Christ has welcomed you in. Through His work, He has given us access to trust in Him and then to join Him at the right hand of God. Doing what? Sharing in the divine life. Sharing in the life of God. The life of God has been offered to you, not just his presence, but his very life. Share it with me, God says. I will come in you. You will be in me. And this life will be lived to his glory and by his power. Therefore, verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the place, the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Watch this. By a new and living way. This is verse 19 19. New and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from our evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are not of those who shrink back because Christ has provided a way for us to now confidently enter the holy place. We don't. You don't need to go to to Jerusalem to meet with God. You won't be any closer to God in Jerusalem than you will be East Bakersfield, Yampa. He is here now. We are with Him. We don't need another temple of stone to be built in order for us to enter into the holy place. When two or more are gathered in His name, He is there among us. All the way on the east side of Bakersfield. He is in the midst of us. We are not of those who shrink back. Because we have been granted access into the very presence of God, and now we enter through a new and living way, before they enter through it through a dead way. A lamb that was slain, for the lamb did not live anymore. The lamb was slain, and then when it was slain, it was slain. But the lamb that we enter through, he is alive. He is the lamb that was standing as though crucified. Revelation says the if dead things don't stand, Christ stands and His sacrifice stands for all of those, for all time who will place their trust in Him. We are not of those who shrink back. Amen. That way of Christ, that new and living way is now ours. It is through Christ that we can draw near to God. And when we draw near, as we are now, to do so with a guiltless conscience, not a guilty conscience, but a guiltless cons- conscience. We have confessed our sins. Our sins have been forgiven. Past, present, and future. And we are encouraged. Sin no more. You've been empowered to sin no more. Walk with Christ. We don't come into the presence of God. Don't come to church with a guilty conscience. Christ is yours. Christ belongs to you. His life is yours. All sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. You, you don't need to come into His presence guilty. Instead, come with confidence. Not just confidence. Come with joy. I, I, I know that we all don't do it, but it's encouraging. It, it could be in our soul. I heard Brother Dustin. I know he's tired. I saw it on his face this morning. Are you ready for worship? I am ready. He's probably tired than most of us, but saying to us, are you ready for worship? There's, there's a joy that needs to pour out of us, not just entering with confidence, not just entering guiltless, but also entering with joy, Amen. coming into the presence of God with great joy. Why? My conscience has been cleansed by the Holy Spirit. I am no longer guilty. Amen. My, my, my parents used to uh, travel to, to prisons, and I remember speaking to many of the inmates These are guys who murder and you name it. They would say to me, I cannot wait to get out. And then after two years, I'll be on parole. Then after this, my record will be expunged. What does that mean? I don't know. that. uh, I hope it means this. It means that after a while, you're not going to be able to look me up and see that there's something on my record. It means that after a while that, that you'll be able to search me and you won't find anything. They just wanted a clean slate. Saints of God, you've been given a clean conscience by the Holy Spirit. Amen. No one can go to David or to go to Anthony or to go to Javier and say, uh, let me bring up my your, your list of sins. No, they have all been wiped away by the blood of the Lamb who covers our sin and cleanses our conscience. Praise be to God. Therefore, we are not of those who shrink back. Yeah. Here's what the writer is doing. He's bringing all of these goods, all of these wondrous truths, all of these things that, that should make us go, that's great, that's great, that's even wonderful. Oh, I love that. So then don't abandon the faith. Turn away to What? Which is where, verse 23, so then let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. It's all good. It's all not for naught. It's going to be. You will be rewarded in the, and you already are. Because of all that has been said, and I'm just tipping the ice. Hold on. Because of all that has been said, hold on. All of these things are wonderfully true. And because they are, we are commanded, not encouraged, commanded, cling to Christ, cling on to him. Do not let go. Even when things are hard, especially when things are hard. Hold fast. It's a principle, but it's also a decision. It's a decision of the will. The will that has been empowered to know. And it's rooted and grounded in love. I know, and what I know I love, and therefore I will not let go. You ever been tempted to let go? You ever been tempted to go? I'm just not going to go anymore. I'm just not going to church. Let let me say this. Uh, i will get to that. It's the determination of the will not to be moved because of the love of God that's been poured out in our hearts. Hold fast. It's to be devoted. It's to be angered. It's to be unyielding. It's to be uncompromising in your faith. And then he adds, and don't waver in that. Don't be unstable. Let go and grab onto what? It's like hanging from a tree, right? You're holding on to the the very uh, uh, an oak tree. It's 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 strong branch, and you're looking down. You go, oh, there's a twig. I think I think I think I'll grab onto that instead. There's a leaf. Let go of this, and then hang on to what? Hold fast to him. But but I love this. The writer is not denying difficulty. He's not denying that life gets hard sometimes. Now get back to it have you ever felt like saying I'm done there are seasons aren't there? Thank God they don't last like Bakersfield summer seasons that never seem to end but there are some that last long that make us that tempt us that try us in our faith and and oftentimes, Cause us at least saying with our mouths sometimes, I think it's hard. I I know I shouldn't be, but I think I'm done. No, I'm not done. What am I saying? There are seasons when our resolve is challenged, isn't there? Listen, it's okay to acknowledge that. It's okay to acknowledge. In fact, all throughout the scriptures, we have examples of those who are tested and who, who go through seasons of trial. And they're honest about their seasons of trial. They're honest about, this is a hard time in my life. They don't smile while they are crying and go, nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. That's fake. Even our Lord said, my soul is in, my soul is in anguish to the point of death. Have you ever been anguished in your soul? Well, I have. I've had dark nights. And times when you can only tell God what you're feeling. You can, because only God knows. And only God can understand how you're feeling. But there are also times when we must remember that we have been We have not just been given a divine life to share with God, but we have also been given a life to share with one another. Along with the life that we have in God, God has provided for us his church. That can help us to grow and be comforted in seasons of testing and trial. So then, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the own assembling, our our own assembling, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and even all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. God has revealed His goodness to us, and that he He not only calls us to Himself, but He calls us into a family of faith into a community of like-minded believers. Our faith is personal. You must believe in Christ. But it's not alone. We don't live out our faith in isolation. We are called to live out our faith in a community of believers. So that it's not just you who is not shrinking back that you take responsibility for your brother and your sister and say, and I won't let you shrink back either. Neglecting to gather with the saints is its really the final step in revealing who the wheat and chaff are. If the saints are gathering and you are not physically or providentially hindered from gathering with the sheep, then you're not a sheep. But there are things leading up to that. There's a, there's a neglecting of the inner life. And the neglect of the inner life is because you don't have an inner life. But if you start to see yourself neglecting the inner life, neglecting adoration, neglecting contemplation, neglecting time of prayer, neglecting fellowship, it's because the inner life is then pouring out into the outer life. And the end result is abandoning the meeting of the saints. Now, the meeting of the saints is to do what? Why do we gather? To meet with God. We have gathered to meet with God. We've not gathered to meet with each other first. We've gathered to meet with God first. So it's not they've stopped meeting with you. They stopped meeting with him. Regardless of what they think activities should be in the church. I wish this activity was here, and I wish this activity was here. Then go to another church. But if you just stop going to church altogether, then you've abandoned not us, you've abandoned him. So while you may be holding fast, and God please, I hope you are. Don't do it now, but in your time of prayer, look around. There may be some who are barely holding on. You may be holding fast and say, I'll try to break my grip. Not going to happen. But there are others who've just got one little pinky left on there. And they are barely holding on. Saints, it is our responsibility to make sure that we do not let go of the hands of the people that we are walking with as we walk with Christ. The writer says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Energize. Motivate your brother and sister to hold fast and to continue to hold fast to Christ. We must not allow ourselves to be consumed with ourselves and, and, and unconcerned about those who are in this family of faith. You wouldn't do that to your own brother or sister. You wouldn't do that to your own child. You you wouldn't just completely ignore them without going at least a week or two without saying, how are you doing? Are you okay? Can I do anything for you? Well, if you wouldn't do it in your own home, then don't do it in the house of God. How are you doing? And don't let, let us let, let our pride not rise up when we go. Everything's good when it's not. We are commanded not to be consumed with ourselves because it's not the way of Christ. Christ was not consumed with himself. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ shows us the better way. The primary way we abandon Christ and his church is by forsaking the gathering of the saints because we gather to worship God. But we are not of those who shrink back. We will not abandon Christ nor his church. We must ask God to give us grace to obey the command to encourage one another to live a life of virtue inwardly, yes, and outwardly. It's not just a command to meet. It's a warning, saints. It's a warning against shrinking back. It's a warning against shrinking back from the faith and forfeiting all of the benefits that we just spoke about. is greater the writer says if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth if after being here and then you leave this and then go back to sin then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins meaning this if you turn away from Christ after hearing this gospel hearing that this in Christ is the only way to be saved hearing the grace of God shed upon humanity through the giving of his one and only son to save us from sin and then turn away from that. Well, there is no other savior. There's only one way for our sins to be given, to, to be forgiven, and if you turn away from him, where else, where are you gonna go? Well, now you don't have a sacrifice for your sins, and, and now you, you are in danger of the judgment of God. What's the point? It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, he says in verse 31. You want to go out there on your own apart from Christ? You're going to be safe out there in, in, in his judgment? It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of God. You don't know what you're saying. I randomly watched a, a YouTube video yesterday. <sighs> an atheist, an unbeliever, a man who is heading toward the, the hands of the living God in judgment, Bill Maher, was speaking to another man who says, I believe in Jesus now. I just read the case for Christ. I believe the historicity of Christ. I believe the archaeology of Christ. I believe that he lived and died and rose. And Bill Maher just begins to to ridicule him. Oh, that's foolishness. Oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, Matthew was not even a he was not even a companion of Christ. Neither was, neither was Luke and neither was John. These came a hundred years later. Ah, you can believe that, but that's ridiculous. For, don't push that on me. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of God. Bill Maher, where is your sacrifice for sins? Who will cover your sins? Not you, sir. Not you, sir. One man said, I would rather tinker with an atomic bomb Then fall into the the judgment and displeasure of God. I'd rather play with an atomic bomb. But we are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who go on willfully sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth. We can't leave Christ. We say along with Peter, where else can I go? You alone have the words of life. We are not of those who shrink back. The author commands, stir one another up, and then, watch what he does, and then he stirs us up. He says in verse 32, remember, 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 he's talking to people who are experiencing difficulty, and he says to those who are experiencing trial, remember, remember the former days? After you were first enlightened, remember when you were first saved? Don't you remember the miry pit that God pulled you out of? Do do you remember the muck and the mire that that God cleaned off of you? Do you remember the filth that you were covered in, that you were involved in? Don't you remember the lack of of peace, the absence of joy, the, 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 the complete void of love that was in your heart? Don't you remember your confusion, your doubt, and your fear? Don't you remember at the cross then, when you first saw the light and the burden of your heart rolled away? Don't you remember how sweet the name of Jesus was? Dear friend, His name has not lost any sweetness, nor His cross any power. It's a good thing to remember, saints. It's a good thing to, to... I remember when I was first saved. The joy that I knew. Why don't you know it anymore? It's still yours. I remember the peace that I had. What do you mean had? It's still yours. I remember the love that I had for God. I just wanted to tell everybody, what's stopping you now? It's a good thing to recall. It's a good thing to recall when you were first cured of your blindness... And saw light for the very first time. It's not lost its brilliance, saints. Amen. Oh, well then why don't I feel it like I do? Because you're depending too much on feelings. It's still true. It's still absolutely, unchangeably true. Your faith is not dependent upon your feelings. Remember I said last week, it's not dependent upon them. But it's not absent of them either. Well, what's going on? Suffering is going on. And sometimes suffering, trials can cloud our ability to, to recall the joy of our salvation. What does David say to me? Restore unto me. Give me a clean heart and restore unto me the, the joy of my salvation. I know it's there. But God, there is, there is guiltiness. There is trial. There is testing. And all of these things are clouding my vision of seeing and enjoying the goodness of of who you are. Amen. Amen. Sometimes Amen. lingering pains of past injuries can make it hard to reflect on the healing. Amen. That is actually Amen. ours in Christ Jesus. Amen. But the writer encourages you and me and the Hebrew uh, Hebrew hearers. Remember. Yes. Reflect. Don't forget. Yes. It's still true. Amen. And then here's what he says. Remember when you were first saved. And we might go, yeah, I remember. It, it, it was beautiful. But then life got hard. And here's what the, here, here's what the writer of the Hebrews says, verse 32. But you endured. You're still here. You need to look at yourself in the mirror once, once, upon, once in a while and look at yourself and go, I'm, I'm still here. Wrinkle lines are more. I got a lot more salt than I have pepper. But I'm still here. I, I pulled out a Bible that we, that my wife and I used to read and I had to get this close to be able to see it <laughs> I, I, so I, I used to read this how? Yes. Yeah. They're not the same yeah. on the outside oh but it's sweeter and sweeter as the days yes. go by but and I'm still here Amen. Praise because you and me. We are not of those who shrink back. You're still here. Life ebbs and flows with difficulty, but you're still here. Sometimes days are darker than others, but you're still here. Sometimes the rainbow is not out all the time. It's, it's dark clouds, but you're still here. Not only are you experiencing child, but you experience Opposition. Not everybody is as rosy as those who are in this church. There are times when you dread going somewhere because you're going to see them there. And you know that when you go, you will be opposed. But guess what? You show up and you go, I'm still here. You get out the car, walking up, open the door, there they are. You say, yeah, here I am. I'm still here. I am not going nowhere. The writer says, you were made spectacles. You were reproached. You experienced tribulations. And also, if it wasn't you, you shared with those who were experiencing it. You've been through some hard times. You showed sympathy for prisoners. You accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Take it all. It doesn't matter. It all belongs to God anyways. Because you know you've got a better possession. Verse 34, in a lasting so don't throw away your confidence. There's a great reward in the end. It's already yours. 35, don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Please. It's valuable. And in the end, it's going to be even greater than what you know now. Don't throw it away. Don't shrink back. But we are not of those who shrink back. Amen. Don't forsake Christ. We are not of those who forsake Christ. Don't abandon the faith. We are not of those who abandon the faith. Don't let go of his hand. We are not of those who let go of his hand. He who promises faithful. The writer says in verse 36, you need endurance. What is that? Keep going. Press on. Every time you go, I'm still here. The, the, the enemy might say, but will you be here tomorrow? Yeah. And you need to say to him, indeed. Oh, that may be too sophisticated. You bet your bottom dollar. <laughs> you better believe it. Amen. I don't believe you. Watch me. Because greater is he who lives in me yes. than anyone and anything who lives in this world. Yes. Be long-suffering. Endure, 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 endure. Press Amen. on, press Amen. on, press, on. press on. Keep on. Keep going. Keep going, keep yes, going. Amen. Yes, yes. May God grant you grace to be long-suffering. Yes. And remember, you're not suffering for nothing. Amen. You're sharing in the life of God. When you've done the will of God, when it's all done, you're going to receive what was promised to you, which is when Hebrews 11 comes in. Abel kept going. Didn't see it here, but got it there. Noah kept going, didn't see it here, but got it there. Abraham kept going, didn't see it here, but got it there. You might not see it here, and I won't. I'm not going to quote the the unbeliever, but we as a people will get to the promised land. That's not from M. L. K. That's from the Lord Jesus Christ. You you will you will get there. There was a land that Abraham saw. Not built by men, by the hands of men, but built by God. He's looking onto a greater land. Hebrews something. We're going there. We're going there. That's not M.L.K. That's the word of God. Amen. Don't be shocked. I said the unbeliever M.L.K. Yes, I did. We will get there. We will get there. Endure. Press on. For in a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back. But those who have faith to the persevering of our soul. There may be some who shrink back. But not us. There may be some who turn around. But not us. There may be some who detach themselves from Christ. But they were never attached to begin with. That's right. Amen. Not us. We are in the hands of God and we shall never be removed. Amen. Amen. There may be some who run when it gets tough, mm-hmm. but not us. Amen. Some who think that the world has something better than Christ, but not us. There there may be those who doubt in Christ and his saving ability. Not us. There may be some who are ashamed of Christ, not us. There may be some who are tired of the truth, not us. There may be some who shrink back, but we are not of those who shrink back. Endure, saints of God. Endure. Starting in the month of February... Should the Lord will, we will begin our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. I pray that this time of living in gratitude to the glory of God, these three sermons have been encouraging and helpful for your soul. So go on and live. Go on and live and do not shrink back. Amen. But we are not of those who shrink back. Amen. Let us pray.